So let me give the, the introduction. Roy, since I have known you for a number of years and have seen you in action, all good. Uh, and what the audience to know that this is a difficult introduction because it doesn't fall into the typical introductions we've been doing uh, when we talk to professors, when we talk to practitioners, when we talk to educators, because in a sense, Roy doesn't fit any of those categories. And the category that he fits is a rather unique one. And so let me let everybody know that we are going to be talking with someone who has been featured in the uh, major series of books that many of you have heard called Chicken Soup for the Soul. And Chicken Soup for the Soul is basically stories of life, love, and learning that Jack Canfield started almost 25 years ago. And since then, there are literally several hundred books that begin with Chicken Soup for the Soul. And Roy was featured at the cover of one of them uh, after he was featured as a writer. His story, briefly stated in one of the books, which is Chicken Soup for the Soul for Extraordinary Teens. And uh, we'll get into the specifics of some of that most briefly. But if you're interested, uh, you can get the book. It's available through Amazon.com. I just checked on it this morning just to make sure. And so uh, uh, we're, we're talking to a real-life person from that book. But more importantly, a real-life person that some of us have known for a number of years who's doing fantastic work with teenagers across the country as a speaker. And the other part of Roy, there are many parts here, but the other part that I just want to quickly emphasize in my intro is the fact that Roy has been homeless. He was homeless at about the age of 14 and uh, then kind of struggled through that difficult period uh, and back into school, got to college, graduated from college, and then something happened. He became homeless again. But the second time was homeless by choice. And so with that kind of an introduction, you may be wondering who on earth this person is. So let me begin by just asking, Roy, who are you? What are you? What has happened? How did that happen? <laughs> How did you get out of it? What is it we should know about you in uh, just a few minutes or less? But basically, introduce yourself better than what I have done. <laughs> well, Doc, thank you so much for the introduction. Uh, yes, my name is Roy Wattis, Jr., originally from San Antonio, Texas, currently Los Angeles. Um, who am I? I'm just another human being who is trying to make life a little better than what he found it. Uh, I, it was nothing that I planned. It was all serendipity. It was just me trying to understand what happened to me, trying to pull my family back together, trying to give my younger siblings good memories so that it wasn't all tragic from the beginning. And so nothing special, just trying to help young people not experience or who have experienced the pain that I've experienced to understand that life does get better and we can be the change that we wanna see. And so what do you do now after all that? 
Well, Dr. Uh, Abdinawar has shared a lot about you, and uh, I know more about him through you. I heard also that you have a connection to a dear friend of ours, uh, uh, Consuelo uh, Kickbush, uh, who we have been in forums with and in conference with and in panels with. So we, we, we come a long way, okay? So I am so happy that you also <laughs> shared, we, we shared then that connection, okay? Uh, it would be good uh, for you to tell us a little bit more about how you overcame some of these challenges, some of these uh, things that happened to you. I mean, you, you've been through an experience that was a difficult experience. I'm, a, I'm, right. I'm, I'm myself a youth worker and a street worker, and I'm, you know, into community more than academia, you know, even though I'm an academic too, but into community. And your kinds of experiences are extremely helpful to people like myself when I am able to talk to people in school districts or in communities and say, well, some folks have done these remarkable things and they have overcome these challenges. What can you tell us about those challenges? What can you tell our audience about that? In 2000, um, 2010, there was an estimated 1.6 million homeless youth in America. Right before the pandemic, there was 2.1 million. So we went the wrong direction. And so I don't know how that happened, but there was so much need in our nation. And I, I never sought out to be an activist. I never thought, you know, I'm going to go become a motivational speaker and I'm going to go advocate for, for these issues. And I'm going to go try to help as many kids as I've helped. Um, it was really just a way of me giving back. So if I can just take you back for a second, I became homeless. At, I first became homeless at the age of 14, eventually with my nine-year-old sister and two-year-old brother due to domestic violence. And so I was able to find homes for my siblings to stay in, but no one would take me in. So I ended up living out of a backpack for two and a half years, just couch surfing, being a street kid, getting food where I could find food. So there was a moment you speak about our connection uh, with uh, retired Lieutenant Colonel Consuelo Castillo-Kickbush, I was in Dallas, Texas. I was a street kid. I was hungry. And I thought, you know, where am I going to sleep tonight? Where am I going to find food tonight? And I saw this huge hotel and I'm like, you know what? They got to have food in that hotel. It's huge and it's nice, right? There's food in there. One way or another, there's food. So I sneak into this hotel and I'm looking around and I see this line of women about to go into this room. And I know that there's going to be food in that room. They're, they're probably having some type of conference or banquet or something of that nature. And sure enough, I sneak in. They're having a banquet. It's this organization called Feud, Federally Employed Women. I didn't know it at the time. I know it now. And I sit in the far back corner because I'm going to take this meal and I'm going to leave. And I, But I sit in the far back corner because I didn't want anyone to notice me. Because as a homeless kid, I learned quickly that if I was invisible, that I got to stay longer. But no kid, no young person should ever have to feel that they need to be invisible to stay. That's not right. And so... That day, that night when they served me my food and I'm eating, this woman comes out to speak and she starts talking about her life and how she had overcome all these issues and she grew to be the highest ranking woman in the combat support field of the United States Army. And I thought to myself, if she can do it, why not me? And I, at this point in my life, I was a high school dropout. I had dropped out of high school because I never knew where I was gonna live, how long I would be in that area. Um, 
I couldn't make it to school. I didn't know at the time, for today, we have like the McKinney Vental law that, that will help kids like me, but I didn't know anything or had any access to any type of help at that age that I knew of. And so it was at that moment that I thought, why not me, that my life changed because I went back to San Antonio, I, tr I got my siblings, and I said, you know what, if, even if I don't have a good life, they're gonna have a good life. And so I made sure that they were gonna be in school, that they were gonna graduate, that they were gonna go to college, that all their dreams were gonna come true. But the ministers that I had approached to try to, to live in their church so that I could do all this said, Roy, you're not gonna live here in this church. You'll live with us, but you have to go back to school. So while I was dreaming big enough for my siblings, I still didn't believe it for myself. It wasn't true for me. So it took someone else to see and believe and, 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 and pour hope into me to say, okay, maybe I can do it too. And so I think that even with my work, so I'm not officially an educator, but I come with lots of lessons. And I come with life lessons that need to be heard because kids don't care what you know until they know how much you care. And if you really want to get to them, they got to know that you're there for them. Absolutely. Thank you, Dean. And Roy, so how do you reach this group at this point and, and, and engage them and work with them? Uh, what is it that you can offer to them? What is it that you even say to them? Uh, so I, that, that's, a tough, that's a tough turn to make. Right, right. And so my hope is that I inspire change. I don't believe that I'm bringing change. I don't believe that I can create change. I can just inspire change because it has to come from within that kid or that student. And so the only thing I knew how to do was tell my story. So when I graduated from Hardin-Simmons University in 2009, I had moved to Las Vegas because the same lady I heard speak in that hotel, I became my mentor and then eventually became my boss uh, at the time. And so I moved from, from, from Abilene, Texas to Las Vegas, Nevada for my first job after graduating college. And I'm there for about three months before she calls me in her office and she's like, Roy, she said, I, I want to let you know that you have three months left my company and I'm going to let you go. And I thought, you're going to. You're going to fire me? Like, what, what did I do wrong? And she says, Roy, she goes, you can't work for me. She says, you're not meant to work for me. She said, you have three months to save money and go do whatever it is that you think that you're supposed to do. But I'm telling you right now, it's not working for me. And so I was upset because I had just, I thought, because I, I didn't know any better. I thought if I just graduate from college, life is going to be better. It's going to fix everything, which was so far from the truth because we're always going to have to fight for our future and, and for our dreams. And, but that, at that time in my life, I decided, you know what, well, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? Or what am I going to do for my next step? And so I decided that I would live homeless the second time. And the reason I thought that was this. I said, you know what, there's no way that I would make it, had made it this far if it wasn't for all the families who fed me, who housed me, who clothed me. I didn't make it here alone. No one makes it to the top alone. And I said, you know what? Before I go work in corporate America and use my business degree and give, because I was going to go back to corporate, I was going to go to corporate America and make a lot of money because I never wanted to be homeless again. So I said, before I do that, I need to do something to say thank you in honor of them. 
And the only thing I could come up with was all I had was my story. So I said, I'm going to live homeless again, but this time it's by choice. Not my parents, not my situation. It's my choice. And I'm going to do it for six months and I'm going to live out of my car and I'm going to drive from L.A. to Jacksonville, Florida. And I'm going to speak at any high school, middle school, shelter organization, any place that would open up their doors. And I'm going to go find those kids that are like me and I'm going to tell them, don't give up. Life gets better, but you have to be here to see it. But life can't get better. And education is one of those ways. And so I started that journey in Los Angeles, South Central L.A., but about three months into that six-month journey, I saw America through a lens that not many people have seen. And what I saw troubled me to my core because I thought, when I knew we had issues in our country, but we have issues. We have major issues. And I ended up saying, you know what? I can't just cross this country. There's so much need. I, I got to do more. So I ended up living out of my car for two and a half years, circled the entire country and spoke to over 100,000 kids. And that's what, what started my, my life as an activist because I've never stopped. I still crisscross this country trying to find kids. And I use my story as a way to help them see and shift their mindset and try to inspire them to create the changes needed in their life for them to be better instead of bitter, for them to understand the value of education for them to understand what mentorship is and how to, to apply those, those tools that the mentors are showing them so that they don't become another statistic like I was supposed to be. And so am I, I know that we've, we've done like research to where we've hired a statistician or uh, to, to evaluate my, my programs or my, my keynote presentation, but those are just the numbers. When I see the line of students and teachers that are standing there to talk to me after a presentation, sharing what they've been through, or when I get the letters from kids on social media that are telling me, sir, I'm graduating now. Like, it's like, you know what? We always say the cliche thing, oh, if just one. I mean, we, we want to reach more than one. But I know for sure that there's just one out there, and that's good enough for me. Wow. And, and, and you wrote a book. By that say, I did. Homeless by Choice. Mm -hmm. Homeless by Choice, a memoir of love, hate, and forgiveness. You know, what's really interesting in this uh, conversation is that, and very commendable that you did this, is that uh, schools today, particularly educating our young people, uh, our previous uh, speaker in one of the, the podcasts was talking about cariño, you know, preparing teachers right. to really care, okay? you seem to have called out teachers for not necessarily reaching out to students in an appropriate way because this austerity in education that we have today turns teachers into these cold folks that sometimes mm -hmm. push kids out rather than bring them in to the process of growing and learning and becoming themselves. And what, what can you tell us? About and, that? I would, <laughs> and I would say I, I definitely would not want to call out teachers mm -hmm. because if anyone's the hardest working mm -hmm. ones, it's the teachers. The people that I would call out if I must is the, is the community because it's like we send our kids to school, but it's more of a babysitting type of situation. And I think we saw that during the pandemic when parents had to become the teachers and then they were like, open up these schools because we need our kids to go back. So it's not the teachers. 
I think if anything, I feel bad for our teachers because they get what we call compassion fatigue and they are working so hard and they care so hard that they get tired. And that's why I feel bad for our teachers. I think that we don't support them. We don't pay them what they deserve. You know, we, we make stupid people famous is what happens in this country. And that is a big issue that we have when we should make teachers famous. We should pay teachers what they deserve, not athletes, not actors and actresses. You know, teachers should get that. So I don't call out teachers. I call out the community for being the root cause of the major issues of, that our kids are having because we like to labelize it and be like, oh, I'm pro this, I'm pro that. But we, we put no work towards it. And that's where the issue lies. When you say, Roy, you call out the community, um, what exactly does that mean? What, what, what can we do? as community members ourselves in terms of fostering that, bringing in that inclusiveness and bringing them in, in ways that maybe we have not in the past. What, what does that really yeah. mean? And I, I don't want to sound like bitter, but I mean, I get, when I, when I started the Homeless by Choice Tour, my thought was this, this is a great cause. People are going to be there to support it. I'm going to try to find and help kids. It was like pulling teeth to get help. So I had no grants, no sponsors. And I was begging people, can you please give up one drink at the bar tonight and, and send it to me so I can use it for gas to get to the next, the next city, the next school. I had nothing. I was sleeping in my car. Like if, if no one would take me in to sleep on their couch. And I, I saw the community the majority of them, not all of them, because they're, if you look hard enough, you'll find the heroes. You'll find the heroes and the sheroes in this world. But you have to look really hard. And why does it have to be that way? Why do we have to look hard to find the heroes and the sheroes? If anything, it should be reversed. We should have to look hard to find the bad ones because everyone's giving so much. Like, there is a problem with this mentality. It's, it, it only, it doesn't, no... I, what I've learned through my work is people don't care unless it directly affects them. And we don't look outside ourselves to check in on each other. You know, there is five of us. Five, I have five siblings. I have eight uncles and aunts at that time. How does five kids become homeless when you have eight uncles and aunts? Like, what if they think every holiday when we weren't sitting there? Now, I get it. My uncles and my aunts at the time were younger. But as, as an uncle myself, that now I'm like, Miha, are you okay? You know, how's everything at home? Do you love yourself? You know, how can uncle be a better uncle to you? And I'll be honest, I miss it too. I, I'm just as flawed and human as everyone else. My niece's birthday was August 29th. Mine's August 30th. I was so consumed with my own birthday that I didn't call my niece. And she sent a text to, my, to her mom, my sister, and she said, uncle didn't call me for my birthday. And I felt horrible because I was like, Roy, you let her down. You know, she felt it. And so I texted her and I called, she had called her. She didn't answer. So I texted her, right? I knew she would answer texts this generation. And I said, baby, I said, uncle failed. I said, uncle was dealing with issues emotionally and mentally that I failed you as an uncle. And I'm very sorry. You need to know that you mean the world to me and that I love you very, very much. 
And I'm very sorry that I didn't call you on your birthday. Now, maybe to some, that's like, well, you just, you just didn't call her. Just call her the next day. But to her, it was so much deeper than that. And so if I didn't make it right, she would forever have this scar on her heart that she didn't matter as much. And that is not the case. She matters. She matters a lot. Uncle's just broken. And he allowed his brokenness to lead that day. And I failed. But it's okay. Because I'm going to own up to my mistake. And I'm going to apologize. And I think that as a society, we fail to see what's happening around us. The only time we see it is if it directly affects us or if it bothers us, then we want to deal with it because it bothers us. Yeah. It's interesting because my birthday was yesterday, so great people have close by birthday. <laughs> uh, it, 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 you know, you, you talk about the issues of community, and, and I mention and I talk about teachers. Okay, I'm an educator, and I know teachers well. I mean, 50 years doing yeah. this stuff, you get to know them. I'm totally for teachers, supporting them, working with them, everything related to their well-being. I still know that we have a problem with many teachers not caring enough, okay, because of this system right. and how it works. I also right. fully agree with you that community, you know, has not become of age in supporting its members. Uh, when when Abdin and I travel to other countries, we find a whole different scenario. Okay, and I found it in Latin America, people supporting folks and stuff like that. But it doesn't happen in some of our urban centers. It's crazy, you right. know, and it should not be. What is your message to folks like that? You know, we can go around preaching and doing everything that we want. And, you know, people like me do it all the time. But it's, I, I, right. I, I sort of like feel frustrated. It's not enough. Something yeah. is happening here. Why are they not there fighting for themselves? What do you have to say about that? If you want to keep your country, our kids need to be educated. In 2012, I was invited by the United States Army to go meet with a bunch of generals. They were calling me and about 30 other people that were with me, COI, Center of Influences. And we were sitting there with all these generals, and they said, look, some countries have more students in their advanced classes than we have kids in, in school. There is no way we will maintain a superpower with the level of dropouts that we have. So if you want to lose your country, then stay seated and don't do anything. Don't get involved. We need to create partnerships with our communities and our schools and not put it off to someone else to say, oh, well, they do it. Well, there's that organization. No, it starts with you. You have to be part of the solution. If not, then you're part of the problem. You're part of the issue. Because our kids need to be educated. If we want life to change, education is one of the sure ways. And, and Roy, are, are you seeing an increase in the number of homeless youth over time? Um, as you see this trajectory, because you've been working on it for, for a while, uh, I mean, you talk about when you were 14, now you're much more than 14. Uh, a lot more. <laughs> and, and, and my birthday's next next week, so we're all Virgos, too, on top of that. Next week. Next week. <laughs> Doctor's birthday. <laughs> Noted. <laughs> so, so, so in, in a sense, I, 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 I get concerned about, okay, so 
what can we do individually, what can we do collectively, but also what's happening or what's missing here, because as a prosperous country, this should not be happening. We should be talking exactly. about this. And I think that, that we may be a prosperous country, but we're a very broken country. We're very broken as, as, as society, as humans. And that is why we're t- constantly trying to just feed ourselves so that we can even feel better about ourselves. You know, it's, it's, and you know what, maybe my, my view is jaded or skewed because of the work that I do do, you know, the, the realms that I put myself in, like maybe that's why my, my view might be a little skewed, but you're right. Um, Tony, it is exhausting. It is exhausting. Um, but I'm not going to give up the fight and, and don't get me wrong. There's, there's, there's a, there's beautiful things throughout this country. There's beautiful things. Um, but when you're having to fight to find them, there's an issue. Yeah. It, 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 it seems also that American individualism contributes a lot to how we are disgruntled and fragmented and all of that rather than this idea that some of us have been pushing about this collectiveness that we need to promote, right. this unitary approach right. to changing situations that are not good enough. I mean, we see it even just as Latinos. Yep. We separate ourselves. Oh, no, I'm not Mexican. I'm Puerto Rican. Oh, no, I'm Mexican, but I was born here. I'm not from over there. Like, we break ourselves apart, and we want to know why we can't get the, the help or the, the, as, as Latinos that we, we want to get because we, even within our own people, we segregate ourselves instead of helping each other and being there for each other. Absolutely. Sorry. I, I just get, you guys got me going this morning. You get excited and you go into this mode of fighting for what is fair, for what is just. And I, I, I sympathize with that. I, I, I really do. I think that we need to do more of that. Now we have this pandemic. Okay, and, right. and this pandemic has sort of like teaches all a lot uh, because it has yeah. exacerbated this individualism and it has exacerbated the these the differencing. Okay, it's like oh my god, you know, I'm going to take care of myself and nobody else. Okay, that appears to be a problem. I think that you probably are confronting that. What you know, this this idea of learning laws, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, uh, putting the guilt, uh, the, the blame on students and young people, especially on young people, you know, all of that. What is your reaction to what we need to do in, these, in this, these days is with this pandemic? How do we keep it together? You know, I think that my mentor, uh, retired Lieutenant Colonel Consuelo uh, Castillo Kickbush, put it the best. You know, we're human beings, but where we fail at is being human. Mm-hmm. That's where we fell because you're right. This, the, during this pandemic, it was like, a, a, for many, it was, um, I, get, I have to get mine. I'm going to survive. I'm going to get mine. You know, for me personally, I had what we were told to have, have six months worth of payroll, six months worth of paying your bills, blah, 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 blah. I had all of that for my company. And during the pandemic, I could have fired my team. And lived my life as normal for the next year and a half. But I was like, I can't let them go. They have families. They're my team. They have supported this work. They, they're, 
they're the reason why I'm able to get out there and reach so many young people. So I got rid of all my subscriptions. I got rid of everything. I got rid of, I got rid of my car. I got rid of everything. Moved into my best friend's spare bedroom to pay cheaper rent to try to survive this pandemic so that I didn't have to lose anyone. Thank God I didn't have to let anyone go. But it was tough. It was extremely tough. But I've had other, I had other speakers tell me, dude, just fire them. Just fire. I mean, if, if, if it was between them and, and me or my family, I would just fire them. And I think that's the mentality that, that many have taken. They're, I'm going to try to get as many of these eggs as possible. And only I'm going to eat them and no one else is. And now because of greed, we find ourselves in a situation that we are, especially those way at the top, way at the top. It's all greed. You, you have started a, a company called Impact Truth now for over a decade, I believe. Um, what, what, what does it do? What, uh, how does it fit into this picture? So Impact Truth, we're a human development company. Uh, it started off with just me being a keynote speaker doing workshops. Uh, during the pandemic, we grew. We, we now represent about 10 other speakers. Um, who have the stories and have the heart to try to inspire change. And every single one of us, our stories are different. From, from suicide prevention to teen dating violence to working with educators, inspiring them. You know, I, when I was in high school as a homeless kid, for some odd reason, I made my email impacttruth at yahoo.com. And I've had this email since high school. When it came time to, to my company, and I'm trying to think, what's going to be my name? What's going to be the name? And I said to my assistant at the time, what about Impact Truth? And he's like, nah, I don't like it. He goes, well, you know what? He goes, sell it to me, Roy. Sell it to me. What, why Impact Truth? I said, because it's our goal. It's our core values. We want to create impact, but we want to do it in truth. Truth in every aspect, the information we put out, the, the way we do our business dealings, impact truth. It's who we are. And he's like, yeah, you sold me. That's what it is. Let's do it. And that's, what, that's how impact truth came about. And so I have. I've been crisscrossing this country for over 15 years, a million students, educators, parents since, just crisscrossing. Recently, um, Tony, you had brought something up, so I grabbed a book from behind me. Um, recently, and I, I can't, I'm trying to think of why. I grabbed this book. So recently I opened up a publishing company, right? Impact Publishing. And we're going to probably cut this piece out because my brain went somewhere and I can't remember where it went when it came to this book. But, but you started a children's book series. Um, I did. As, I did. As part of that. Well, the, the reason the books came about was I remember waking up one morning and thinking it's not enough. I, I felt like we're losing the battle. Like, it's not enough. It's not enough. So I called Reggie, who now runs the, the publishing company. But at the time, she was an intern. And I called Reggie. I said, Reggie, I'm going to write a book, and you're going to help me. She's like, okay. I said, I'm going to just start writing. I'm going to just start writing. You're going to start editing. And if something doesn't make sense, let me know. And so I started writing because my thought was this. Maybe, maybe if, if the book can get somewhere into people's hands, this will be an extension of the work. This will help motivate them in other ways. 
because it wasn't enough for me to just go from school to school to school to school. And I'm not, I know I'm not the only speaker. We're all in, all in this together. You know, in the speaker world, there's a lot of competition, a lot of, a lot of backstabbing, a lot of stealing, which is horrible because the majority of them are out there preaching values and this and that, and it's all hot air. It's crap. You know, it's stupid. And we're, we're supposed to be on the same team fighting to, to create the same. There's so much work out there. But again, people just want to collect their little eggs and not share them. There's plenty out there. There's plenty. We have to be there to help each other if we want something for the greater good. And, and, and what, I, what, what I'm seeing also from a macro perspective is mm-hmm. a shift, a change. Uh, in young people today in the midst of a war that we just finished, in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of a resurgence of racism, in the midst of immigration problems, in the midst of of, of 10,000 other things happening all at once. it's it's got to be, it, it, and, I'm, and I'm wondering, okay, so what are the young people, and you're much closer to this than, than, than we are, but what's the mind of the young people today? Because these are major, major shifts. And I see the, the country in major conflict and major turmoil. Yes. And I keep thinking, my gosh, how much of that is being absorbed by our children? And that's a, that's a great way of putting it, absorbed. Because I think our kids are so optimistic because they haven't been jaded yet and their hearts haven't been hardened. They haven't got to a point to where they thought, you know what, this is the way life is. They, they feel, they still see that they can create change. And that is a beautiful place to be. And we have to help them on those journeys. But there, there comes a point when someone gets tired and then they just accept. They're not there. And that's awesome. It's just like the teacher who's been teaching for 20 years. Is it, are they, and they're tired. Are they a bad teacher? Absolutely not. Are they a bad person? Absolutely not. They're just tired. It's, it's interesting that you raise this issue. I mean, we were young people too. I mean, uh, 50 yeah. years ago, I was, you know, the Roy <laughs> type, you know, you know, and I was in the young lords. Could you imagine the minister of education? And, and all of that. And uh, we did certain kinds of things that help us at that historical moment to open up some doors and do some things. And now we look at this new young generation of people. And I, I like you, I do a lot of speaking to young people. I talk to them about this connection between what we happen to know about the past and what's new now, they have to take the reins. They have to keep on going, right? And we want to do that. We want to push that. But I have observed, like I've been maybe, a certain level of comfort by the very same people that we empower during our time. So like, let's say bilingual education. As a bilingual education, I got a whole mess of doors open for bilingual scholars, bilingual teachers, and now they make a whole mess of money and they marry them on each other. I, it is like a comfort. And then when you go to them, it's like pulling teeth, you know, to be able to do that. Uh, these speakers 
that get around the country. It's become also a comfortable thing of going around, like you said, and, you know, going at each other and trying to keep their little income, you know, going, etc. Yeah. But uh, it, it so happens that they are not necessarily empowering and equipping young folks to take the reins. You know, they just come and right. talk to people and they leave. Okay. Right. Uh, well, how, how's, what's, you know, we're having this conversation. What's your reaction to that? <laughs> it is, it's horrible. Yeah. It's horrible. I, I think, I, I mean, I get it. Life sets in. You, you create a family, you now have a mortgage, you have car payment, you know, you, you want to take a vacation. I get all that. Um, and that's not bad. It's, it's not bad to, to enjoy the fruits of your labor. It's not bad to enjoy life. Don't, don't get me wrong. That's not bad at all. It's just really hard when, when there's still so much need out there. There's so much need. And if you can't do it, that's fine. Support someone who can. And that's still part of your, your inner core of the, you know, whatever, whatever you were fighting for when you were younger, you know, a lot of times we, you now have children, you have grandchildren. That's still inside of you. Yeah, maybe you can't do it, but support someone who can. You know, so it, for me, it's like, who's going to be not necessarily my successor because I'm nobody, to be honest with you. There are plenty of Roy's out there fighting just as I'm fighting. That's great. You know, I, I always said, I would love one day to have a huge conference of like 50,000 people. That'd be amazing. And I would love to just stand on stage and look at everyone. No one has to know my name because it's not about me. No one has to know my name. I just want to see them and be like, hmm, I can rest now. I can rest and then leave. And no, who cares? You know, people say, well, what's your, what, and this may be horrible, but people are like, Roy, so what legacy do you want to leave? I said, I don't really care about a legacy, to be honest with you. I said, because I'm going to be dead. Why do I care? I ain't going to know. If anything, then I want to live this legacy now and impact lives while I have this short amount of time. Who gives a crap about legacy? You know, I don't. I'm going to do my best, and that's all you're going to get from me is my best. That's all I have to give you is the best that I can give you. And that's it. Thank you. I, I, I'm in closing, um, I'm not sure how to close this process. <laughs> because it's... A lot of talking that we have to do. <laughs> There's so much there, Roy, and thank you for that. Um, and a lot of thought behind it and a lot of experience behind it. And, 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 and hard knocks. I, on top of if I can say this, if I can say this, Doc, before, I need the audience to know that I love my family very much. I was homeless, yes. I was broken, yes. But parents are human. And parents make mistakes. They're human. My mom was broken in her life. Her parents were broken in their life. You know, we become products of this brokenness if we allow it to. But that's the power of education. Education can break those ties so that we're not a puppet in someone's brokenness. And that is why education is so important. And if we can help kids understand that and help kids be educated, that they too can cut those ties from the brokenness that was placed on them. And that is why it is so important that we all step up and that we all come together because it changes everything. And, and I, I was 
Thank you, because I was going to tie it back to education. Uh, but if I was to ask you, uh, what would you say to young people today um, as a critical message, as something for them to think about, given all that we have said so far, um, what is it that they should know about who they are, what they are? What is it that they should know about their place in this world? What would you say? Two things. One, never get to a place in life where your heart is so hard that you stop caring about other people and you stop caring about yourself. Never go there in life. Two, don't make it about you. See the people around you. And the reason I say that is this. On social media, I was scrolling the other day and I came across this post of a young man at his, at his grandfather's funeral. And, excuse me, and the first picture is him putting dirt on his grandfather's funeral, on, on his casket. And I saw that there were several pictures attached, right? So I started swipe, swiping through the pictures. And every picture was a picture of this kid. Not one picture of his grandfather. And I thought, wow, you're saying, rest in peace, grandpa. But every picture is about you. That's very telling. Every picture is about you, not your grandfather. So are you really posting about your grandfather? Or are you posting about yourself? Don't become a selfish person. <laughs> See those around you. Thank you, Roy and Tony. Let me pass the baton for you, to you in terms of any perspectives, concluding statements, given all that we've been talking about. Oh, absolutely. I appreciate so much your comments, Roy. Uh, I, I think that those of us that have been involved from the community perspective have experienced very much what you're talking about. I mean, it's like putting teeth to get people to help us. And in Milwaukee, in the Midwest, my gosh, you know, I, I have to, uh, I sometimes defend our folks and then I go like, why don't you defend yourselves? Why don't you do something about yourself? I'm not going to be around. I'm going to die one of these days what's going to happen to you, right? Uh, so it's, yeah. it's this constant struggle of making sure that we reach that balance of conscious teachers that help us do more caring and learning and growth and community folks that help that contribute the, the the mutual aid societies in the 1930 in the Mexican communities taught so much. Sociedades mutualistas, where people got together and did things. The idea that you know you need a village to raise somebody right. is like we've been losing that unless we go back and get it again. This individualism grows as opposed to stopping. So we need people like you. And we need people that continue to educate ourselves and the people around us, cariñosos, you know, uh, embrace people and embrace the idea that we can make the world better for us. And I think you brought That's us right. that today in your comments. So I thank you for that. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I truly appreciate it. Thank you. I And I know that sometimes my words get a little passionate, but it's because that's what, it's, it's what I am. And I might not have all the words. <laughs> 
I might not have all the words to use use in my toolbox, so it might come out as that's that that's stupid, but <laughs> that's just because I couldn't find the yeah, right word I was trying to words. describe. Okay, so one more. <laughs> passion is critically important. If you don't have passion, you don't have feeling, and if you don't have feeling, you're missing the life. So thank you, really. Thank you, thank you, and community. I love you all. I, I'm. I, it's not an attack to you. I just. I just see the kids that are hurting and that's what breaks my heart. And that's where that passion comes from. I, I just want to help them. And that's what it's all about. Thank you. Thank you.